Yep, put I'm it starting in. it. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Don't Feed the Artists. I am uh, Jackson Russo. I'm Adam Sully. Um, and notably absent. I don't know. Is anybody absent? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> I, I'll let you introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm Eric Dano. I play in the Holophonics and a couple other bands around town. And I just want to kick this off. Um, the Holophonics uh, from Denton, Texas, um, they are a ska band. And we can do this one of two ways. Because, you know, a lot of people don't know what ska is. It's a shame that they don't. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to explain how I like to explain ska, and then you can shit all over that if you'd like. Um, Basically, when I I used to be super into ska, like when I was maybe like 13 or like just like in my early teens in Plano, Texas, for some reason we had a ska scene there. There's this one band, uh, No Outlet, that I was super into. Mm -hmm. And do you know them? Uh, Not personally. They uh, stopped playing before I moved here, but uh, a lot of the guys in the scene, they talk about No Outlet all the time. Yeah, um, I still have their CDs somewhere over in my CDs over there, but... I was super into them and like I you know as you do with parents you try to explain to them like oh what are you listening to and there was a huge like Texas like grindcore scene at the time so I was just like oh well I'm listening to this and my best way of explaining it was I think ska is kind of like punk music upbeat punk music with horns that's how I've always explained it now it's your turn I have I had a, a mild cardiac event when I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I specifically thought that that would probably piss off anyone in the ska scene. But that's how no, I always it, explained it. It's cool. And honestly, that is how a lot of uh, people relate to our music is, you know, it's 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 like in the punk world for sure. Um, and, you know, we do have a horn section. So that that's what catches a lot of people's ears. Um, but it's, it's funny because, like, explaining what ska is is like, is like you know a tale as old as time of the ska scene like you know people are always like debating like oh that band's not ska that band's not real ska and it, it's like, <laughs> like it's sublime yeah i mean <laughs> there's so many bands that like incorporate ska elements and like whether or not you consider them a ska band whether they consider themselves a ska band it's this big contentious issue um and it's funny because we had uh kind of a a big conversation with with the guys in the band some of the scene like about this maybe just a couple of weeks ago um because our YouTube comments are full of people just like snobby, like just being the biggest snobs that ever snobbed about Scott. It's like, well, this is really more of like a reggae song. And <laughs> I, you know, I think this falls more in the rock steady category. It's like, well, you know, whatever, man. Like, um, yeah, especially on the internet, I, I assume because like in music scenes, we all like each group has their, you know, assholes. And like, especially on the internet, I, can only imagine it's a nightmare for like the ska scene with yeah. all the elitists i mean you know everyone's pretty used to it uh it's just the one like buzzword that really gets me is punk with horns it's, <laughs> it's like yes i mean because there's nothing intrinsically wrong with saying punk with horns but people just always use it where it's like well i don't think this is really ska it's more punk with horns I'm like what difference does it make man okay <laughs> like, you're listening so to it, right <laughs> for anyone who hasn't uh, heard Scott. The reason why I call it punk with horn is because it's it's fast. It's not necessarily. I mean, there are power chords, uh, but in the sense when I say punk with horns, I mean it's just it, it's fast. It it not aggressive in the sense that like oh it's angry, but like yeah, just aggressive. Like punk. it's very fast and in your face, and then like you know 
horns, those pretty much explain themselves. But that's why I always say that, and I guess it really is like the layman's term. But yeah, it's it's definitely a good. I mean, I guess like modern way to kind of catch all, like you know, for for new fans and that kind of thing. But it, it's so it's it's so weird talking about ska as a genre because if you really like go back to its roots, like ska is as old and as independently developed as rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, like going all the way back to the '50s in Jamaica, um, it has its own history, its own like deviation from R&B music, and uh, a lot of what I listen to now is actually the older styles of traditional ska and rock city and early roots reggae, um, and that makes its way into the holophonics music a lot, I think. But you know, we still kind of go more with the punk crowd when we play local shows around here. Yeah, um, there was. I remember when I was getting into ska and first hearing about it, um, I looked up bands like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, and I wasn't super into them. It just it, it felt like disconnected from what I was hearing as ska in my local scene and like other stuff. Like, and um, I was like looking up, and they were at, they were always bringing up reggae, and I wasn't super into reggae. And then like they brought up like, oh, well, here are some of the, like the songs or bands you should listen to if you're into ska. And these are kind of the roots. And there was like this one song that I actually found on 45 at like my parents' house just by happenstance. And it was like Israelites by, um, I fucking forget the band, but uh, it was like from like the 60s or 70s. And it had that like super ska feel, but you you could tell it was super pulled back and like something like what it was going to become. Kind of like listening to blues and be like, oh, rock is coming. Yeah. Yeah. And and the big thing about ska that people... Uh, latch on to especially concerning like the modern iteration of, of ska and punk uh, is that you know it was popular in waves uh, the first wave was you know early you know 60s back in Jamaica the second wave was the two-tone movement in England but the third wave was what got you know the American punk scene into the mix and that's that's re- the third wave ska is really where the holophonics kind of started from like specifically like we wanted to be a third wave ska band and we wrote songs about that little click that little niche um but you know you know since then since holophonics have been a band for five years now since then you know it's it's we've kind of reached the punchline of that joke i think and we're starting (laughs) to move on to a little bit you know different little more progressive ideas with the genre i think it's interesting that you bring up like the kind of niche part of it because um I've always seen like, um, and once again, sorry to bring it up, but the whole punk uh, movement and punk music or the movement, however you want to see it, I've always seen that as a niche and like, you know, um, ska, I always saw kind of branching off of that, um, whether or not that's how people feel, but it felt like a niche of a niche. So like, that's how I... I would always bring up ska to my friends and be like, oh, it's super fun, like, going to a show. Even if you don't know the music, you don't know the band, just going to a show and skanking. And if nobody knows what that is, <laughs> it's nothing what it sounds like. <laughs> but, like, I, yeah, just going to a show and literally it's just, like, the most white boy dance you can think of. And it's super fun and you can mosh while doing it and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But, like, always explaining it to my friends, they had never heard of ska and it's just, like they they were hard pressed to like even name like punk bands so it's just like i'm wondering what that's like being and what you know i i think ska music is like one of the like biggest um genres that i notice in the sense of it's very self-aware and it always is quoting like um real big fish they're like biggest song if we're not counting the uh 
aha cover is yeah. uh sell out and it's literally them just talking about selling out and you know it's being really self-referential of like oh you know we're a ska band and we're never gonna make it unless we're you know selling out at least that's how <laughs> i saw it i'm just curious and like you guys even have songs about like you know oh well we're not you know mainstream enough that kind of stuff yeah being yeah <clears throat> i think i just saw um the hard times an article was like classic rock song about rocking hard in a rock band like you know like every ska song is about yeah. being in a ska band you know it's it is a very self-referential genre um and that's you know that's part of like the joke i guess that we started the holophonics with we we wrote a lot of songs sort of commenting on the genre and it was it was a little bit satirical uh but it was i don't know to me like you can only take that joke so far, and that's I think that's why a lot of the ska bands from the '90s aren't around anymore today. I mean, like the bigger ones are because they're doing really well, but man, it's uh, <laughs> it's you can only beat a dead horse so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're like I would, last time I saw a real big fish was like it was a double headlining tour with them and Less Than Jake mm-hmm. and. Uh, I forget the singer's name of Real Big Fish, but it was his 40th birthday, and everyone started... Sure. That was at uh, Gas Monkey Live? Yeah. yeah like, uh, two years ago, maybe? Yeah. Or a year and a half ago? Yeah. Sure, yeah. And everyone, like, started singing Happy Birthday, and you could tell he just was not into it, because it was, like, his 40th birthday, he's on tour, he's in Dallas, Texas, he probably doesn't really care to be there of all places, so it's just, like, it's one of those things where you don't see very many, like, uh, you know older rock and rollers and like stuff like that especially on their birthday <laughs> yeah i love riblick fish i love aaron barrett but you can tell sometimes he's he's not as into it as he used to be um isn't he like one of the only or isn't he the only original member he right now? is now which is it's unfortunate but it, like it is noticeable like yeah. seeing them play now you know as opposed to seeing them play 10 years ago it is different uh, you can tell he's like just kind of touring for the money yeah it's more it's more the iron barrett show than it is a real big fish show yeah because um, the other the other guys in the band were funny like their uh their stage banter was like you know a hallmark of a real big fish show it was like a comedy show too yeah um and the other guys that are in the group now you know like they go back and forth with aaron but it's it seems a little bit less improvisatory a little bit more canned you know yeah i really miss that of like music it i don't know i don't see it as much anymore but definitely with that kind of like warp tour uh era of like you know blink 182 and like no effects all those kind of bands who are like super funny on stage whether or not you like their music or not those dudes like they know their banter and like you can watch youtube video and you couldn't then but like i guess you would have to watch like you know fuse or whatever to see all that kind of stuff i I think mtv was dead by then but um it's super like they're they're actually talking to each other it's not just like oh we're gonna make the same joke we made the other night typically yeah i miss that kind of music where like you know the music can be serious but like the people are funny and it's actually fun just going to the show because it's funny you know yeah i mean i have a huge appreciation for that um but you know like it if you don't, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna nail it, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd almost rather like just just play the music. Um, like, I don't know. One of my other, probably my favorite band of all time is RX Bandits, mm-hmm. and they're definitely not a ska band anymore, and they kind of eschew that classification. But they definitely used to be a ska band, and for a long time they like held on to remnants of of, of that genre pretty well. Um, but they're a great example of like they don't talk at all when they're playing. Like they'll say a couple things like maybe like a, at one point 
in the show like halfway through or whatever but it's mostly just like song after song with transitions and it's so expertly crafted yeah that like musically i mean you don't you don't need anything else you don't need them to make jokes and stuff yeah definitely don't it, it's one of those things where it's a perk uh that i see but not necessarily a necessity but um the impression that i get is that uh <laughs> it's uh dwindling i'm gonna see how many little like slight ska jokes i can make this time i know you'll probably understand all of them but none of our listeners will probably not that is the uh most top tier one that you should understand if you know anything about ska but we'll see if that you know moves on so um on top of the i i guess we'll stick with holophonics for now we can talk solo stuff later but uh so you guys you're, you know, you have your original music. How many uh, original albums do you have? Uh, two full-length albums of original songs. And the reason why I say that is because one of the big things that you do, obviously the majority of released music right now, is what, Masquerades? That's what you guys are calling yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that's our series of cover albums. And you're on which number now? We, just put, today? we just put out number 11 today. It came out before today. Come on, guys. Right, or, yeah, yeah, we're in the future. <laughs> Happy July 4th, everyone. Forgot to say that because it's definitely July 4th right now. <laughs> Came out last that. week on June 28th. So um, <laughs> you, I'm typically not a huge fan of covers, but I don't know what it is about ska music, and I'm not just saying this for this podcast, but you know, as we said, the Real Big Fish cover of AHA's Take On Me and um one of my all-time favorite covers is um save ferris's uh cover fuck i'm blanking on the name of the song right Good now show, bro. which is ma- come on, making Eileen. it yeah Dex come on Eileen, yeah which makes it seem like it wasn't my one of my all-time favorites but come on eileen those two covers are they're fucking great and they're super they, they feel way different from the originals but in the sense that you know it's still the song and that's what i really like about like what the holophonics is doing is because like every cover i've seen of you know just a rock band doing something of like you know taking a song it it doesn't feel too original or exciting to me but with these songs you know where did that all start in the sense yeah uh, well, those two songs are like the perfect example because, uh, I mean, you know, five years ago, starting the Holophonics as basically a third wave ska satire band, uh, you know, cover songs, especially 80s cover songs coming full circle now, yeah. uh, were, you know, one of the cliches of the genre and um, not necessarily in a bad way, but it was very easy to take an 80s song and make an awesome ska version of it. So a lot of bands were doing it. Um, and we kind of, that's how we just got the gears moving was we started focusing on cover songs. Uh, it's, it's really easy to change genres to ska. Like, I don't know. I don't, uh, we, well, and it's, it's fun too. Like, the oh, songs it's super that come fun. out of it. You so. can even take like a downer song and make it fun in ska. And it just like, if you haven't listened to ska, I'd say pause this episode. Just listen to, I don't know, Streetlight Manifesto or Real Big Fish. Those are like some really good upbeat ones. Or at least I'd say they're upbeat. And uh, just come back, and you'll understand what we're talking about, how it makes things really fun. Yeah. And both of those bands have full cover albums in their discography as well. Yeah. So it just seemed like kind of a, a, a natural idea. It's like, hey, let's you know start a, a band that's based on third wave ska gimmicks. Let's do cover songs. And for a while, we were kind of just going with like 
trying to do like a me first in the gimme gimme's thing with ska, not just punk. And uh, I don't, we've done, yeah, we've done 11 albums and a B-Sides album and we've done like so many music videos and that's kind of kind of the the way that we've like reached most of our fan base I think is through the cover songs and it's not what my heart's in like you know I want to focus on the original music but doing the cover songs is fun and it's a way to reach more people and then you know the ones that really like it they'll go look up our original songs and come out to a show buy our CDs that kind of thing I think it's also you know a good way to you know get ska out there in the sense that you know as we've said multiple times not a ton of people know about ska and it, it, it's a really good way of you know people hearing it because people fucking love the 80s and you <laughs> well, that's it's more approachable to hear like a music video or a song that's a cover that you know and you're like oh i, I know that song this is kind of cool what is this and yeah and then you go dive into hopefully what sky is and yeah and it's i mean it, especially like the the line between cover and parody i i think is something that like we've we've tried to blur a little bit over the years and uh like this this 80s album that just came out um it's pretty pretty straight like we don't really like take too many liberties with stuff but we've done some some albums some covers where it's like we're all over the place with like throwing in other references and mashups and that kind of thing and like you know a little bit of like a like a wink here and there just kind of trying to be funny a little subtle like satire with it but it's um I don't know. It, it's just like, as like a, as a composer and arranger, it's like kind of fun, like doing like these puzzles, like trying to take apart a song from the radio and like put it back together in a different way. And like a way that's maybe like a little bit clever, like here and there. Um, but ultimately I don't think people really care. They just hear a pop song and they hear it in a different way and they're like, Oh cool. I'm going to buy it on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's yeah. So you guys have the, um, YouTube channel. And what started going from, did you immediately when you started these cover songs or the idea of doing the covers and uh, did you immediately have the idea of going to doing the YouTube videos or did that, was that kind of an afterthought? Uh, That was pretty much the impetus behind the entire thing. It was the YouTube and we started um, in 2012 and it was right around the time. I don't know if y'all remember uh, when that Carly Rae Jepsen song "Call Me Maybe" was popular, I and still like, have not stopped singing. Yeah, everybody <laughs> and their mom was putting up cover videos of that song on YouTube, and it, they, <laughs> they weren't even like different versions. Like they would just play the audio and like do a silly dance or something, and it would be like the Harvard swim team, like all these hunky dudes like dancing and swimming to "Call Me Maybe" or whatever. You know, just like everyone had one. So I was like, well, I'm gonna make a ska one. That was the first thing we did. Um, it was before we put out any albums or any like standalone audio or played any shows. We just made a video of a ska version of Call Me Maybe. And it got some traction. And I was like, okay, let's keep doing this. And we did a Taylor Swift cover. We did a Kesha cover. Uh, we started playing some shows. And we were only doing cover songs at the time. And uh, it just started taking off. And I was like, hey, like I think we're doing okay with this. Where Maybe we can start sneaking in some original songs. And... Uh, but yeah, I mean that's and that's how we booked our first tour. Basically, um, it was just people that had found us through YouTube that were offering us shows, um, and it kind of spread. And, uh, and you know, and when we go on tour now, like even all over the country, like we'll, we'll find people that at the shows that you know they'll reference like 
a music video we did like two or three years ago yeah as like how they found out about us and i was like oh right on like and you know there's a lot up on that channel now so it's it's always cool like like finding each person's like entry point into our music yeah that... and especially the the fans that like have stuck around for the original songs and like actually do come out to the shows like finding out like what what got them into the stuff is that's that's pretty cool for me yeah that's gotta be really nice i don't think i've ever you know met anybody who had help booking shows or booking even a whole tour through youtube so i'd say that's the first that i've heard <laughs> but it makes sense through you guys because uh, yeah you guys have you know a lot of views on some of those videos and it's just it, it it seems fun i don't know was it all the same guys like the same crew uh from the beginning like or was it just kind of like you would get together a group of people and you know do a cover and then make the video um well the guys in the band have changed a little bit over the years and um but for the most part we've had like the same core of three or four guys for a long time and we've gone through different phases with different like video crews and stuff and we started out just me doing it um and it was it was fine it was a lot of work because i didn't really know how to use any video editing software or anything like that and uh, so we started hiring some other people and like they were okay and then didn't work out and then uh we had my roommate do some videos and they were actually really good uh but then he moved out and uh so I've been doing all the recent videos just like we just go up in our jam room and uh we take turns holding the camera and then I edit them all in final cut and I still don't really know how to do all the video editing stuff but it's it's cheap it's low budget um you know it gets the point across at least uh and I think the current formula is is one that's working um we have a Patreon set up now which is like designed for us to put out at least one new music video every month and we get a little bit of financial support from that which hopefully grows over time and enables us to i don't know maybe maybe get some hired like real video professionals in the mix a little bit later um but yeah like it's 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 been a growing experience i mean when we started the band i mean i've always done all the audio recording um and i wasn't that experienced of a producer when i started and i think you can kind of like listen through the discography and hear like sound quality improve like over the last five years like very gradually because like we we would do like three or four albums every year so you can you can notice like like a little bit of a step each time uh, and same things happening with the videos yeah it's, I, it's all diy yeah i think it's because um, you said you produce everything and right now you're doing the music video i think it's one of those things where i've always enjoyed doing you know things that like I'm shitty at like, you know, any type of visual art, but the more I do it, the more happy I am with the product. And it's one of those things where you may not be good at it to begin with, but it's super fun and you always get better at it and you come up with more ideas. And also you can have that like outsider look from it because, you know, I'll give people like, you know, a piano or something and I'm just sitting there like, I can't come up with anything. And then they'll come up with something that's really cool. And it's just like, they know nothing about music. And it it (laughs) takes that kind of outsider look sometime whether it be you know anything really um so you mentioned the uh the patreon what kind of gave you all the idea to start doing that uh well it had been a while since we did a real music video um so i think it had been like at least a year and a half since we put out a real music video 
on YouTube. And most of that was because we were touring so much for like all of 2016, a lot of 2015. Um, and so I was just like, all right, like we should probably get back to that. Like that's what, you know, got us a lot of reach when we first started. It was fun. We haven't done any of it in a while. Like we can probably make some more music videos. I think it's time. And uh, so I didn't want to just half-ass it like we had kind of always done. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, how can we like kind of roll this out in a way that's a little bit more professional in a way that like, connects with the fan base that we're trying to reach a little bit, a little bit better. Um, and I remember when Patreon was new, I guess it was maybe like two years ago, maybe three years ago. Um, and it seemed like a pretty good idea. And I was thinking about maybe like getting on board, using it to make music videos. And uh, just we kind of just stopped making as, as much content in terms of video content at that point. So it kind of let, let it be. Um, so when I started thinking about doing more cover songs, more videos again, uh, I just like looked, looked at what Patreon had become. And it, it's like a pretty great platform i think yeah um it's really effective uh for us and for a lot of other musicians that are doing basically the same thing we are um i think it works really well for musicians for podcasters um anyone that's you know doing regular content and uh the idea was to be regular with our content release at least over um the next year or so like our plan right now is to put out a bunch more cover songs over the rest of 2017 do at least one video per year uh, sorry, per month. And then, uh, we're, we're working on the new album of original music and that'll be out early 2018. It looks like, so we're kind of pushing a lot of covers into the internet right now, just to kind of build up our, our presence and build up our repertoire. And, uh, once we get, you know, some momentum going, then we're going to hit everyone with the new original songs. Um, and we're, you know, we're starting to rehearse those songs and we're going to be playing, a uh, bunch of them live over the next uh, few shows that we have coming up, um, debuting a lot of new material for the first time. So, yeah, I mean, like that's that's like where the the goal was headed, like towards the next original album, because it's been two years since we put out an original album, um, and that it really is where you know my heart is and what we what we like performing. We honestly don't even play the cover songs live anymore. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that yeah. the last few shows I've seen. So, it'd be uh, really cool. I, I'm going to be honest, I don't know how Patreon works. I know it's kind of a monthly thing or weekly. It's monthly uh, or per, like, output. Like, yeah. So for theirs is per video, right? Yeah, we. Uh, it, it's pretty cool the way it works. Like, um, So every time we release content in the form of a music video, uh, our patrons are set up to, like, pay a certain dollar amount. Yeah, and they set that, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have it every time we release something, you can have it to be like once a month on a regular schedule like we our schedule is aimed at one release a month um we actually put out two in june um but we only like charge people for one because like that's what we said we We don't want to like overcharge anyone and you can set a cap and stuff too it's like it's like a really uh well thought out like platform for crowdfunding i think um and you know we've done kickstarters and stuff in the past and there wasn't anything like really specific that we needed to kickstarter go fund me or anything like that so i just kind of uh it's a way to hold us accountable for being on top of a regular release schedule too which is nice well and that that sticks around more than a kickstarter because kickstarter is just kind of a one-time thing and that's it so i don't know this may be just out in the air but like i think it'd be really fucking cool for like that kind of thing especially patreon or kickstarter or whatever it was like a certain dollar amount if you uh you know 
do that much or support that much uh you know you could just um suggest like a cover song or something that kind of shit like i love that kind of stuff because like some of my favorite bands have crowdsourced their albums and like they'll put your name in the liner notes and it's just like that's so cool even if nothing comes of the album like major yeah um i'm i'm trying to think of a way to work that in where um where patrons can help choose which songs we cover um it's a little bit a little bit a little bit of a kind of a weird issue on patreon because like we're doing it specifically for single music videos but we're also recording a lot of albums at the same time so uh, like i don't know we're prob- probably going to try and find a way to set up like a survey or that kind of thing or, like yeah. a vote something like that um but we we did uh in the past this was maybe ooh, three years ago four years ago i don't know um we we put out uh a cover album that was kickstarted and uh the highest level of uh donation was you get to choose a song and so that that album wound up being 15 tracks because uh, there were five that we had planned on covering and then we got 10 people to put up uh, enough money to just choose whatever song they wanted That's um awesome. yeah so like that album was funded like like uh like 150 percent or something like we we went well over our goal uh it was very well received um so yeah i've been trying to think of a way to like get that out there again and like and the thing is we didn't have any limitations for what song people could choose and i was just like oh man please nobody choose dragon force please yeah. nobody choose dragon force <laughs> man, you could kill that honestly i think you're holding yourself back by not doing some like prog or prog metal because you could get really silly with that kind of stuff <laughs> Yeah, I could see that just, you know, picking up your guitar and like slapping it and then sing some Dragon Force over it. <laughs> I think that'd be great. Yeah, because I was going to say I might have to like donate and see if you can uh, do like a Coheed song. I think you guys would hate that. That'd be rad. I'm, I used and to be put pretty... it on the podcast. Man, I, I listened to a lot of Coheed and Cambria back in the day. I haven't followed much of their stuff recently. Um, but yeah, they were one of my main bands in high school for sure. Here we go. This is how it starts. <laughs> this is how it always begins. Somebody asked me my cat's name. Somebody asked why I got a big poster of uh, uh, the posters. Roman numeral four on my wall. That's because it's a Coheed album. Man, yeah. well, well, prog music, like, you know, Coheed and, um, like, especially Mars Volta and later RX Bandits and, and stuff, like, that's a huge part of my, you know, like, musical influence and that's the more the direction really that the new holophonics music is going to take um the new original songs we're working on are definitely a little bit uh more complicated musically they're definitely the hardest songs that we've ever had to learn so like we're spending some time rehearsing them and uh they're definitely not silly they're not joke songs which in and of itself is just a big leap for us <laughs> but yeah i mean uh we're playing you know tomorrow night we're playing a uh, a new song and it's got like this crazy metric modulation it's like this like insane horn solely that like man the horn section they've gotten so good over the years um i'm like very stoked to like really show them off on the next original album so speaking of horns i know so in the holophonics you play guitar and sing and but that's not all you do you're a multi-instrumentalist what all do you play um well on the albums uh i've played all the bass parts too um 
Although our, our new bass player, we just got a new guy. Uh, his name is Owen Kinzer, and he's really awesome. So I'm very stoked to, to get him in on the mix uh, on future recordings. Um, and tomorrow, actually, is going to be his first show with us. Uh, so that's going to be pretty rad. Um, but I also do uh, tenor sax on the recordings and a little bit of trombone here and there. Um, I play the keyboards, too. I'm all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of like... Um... I always try to do it, but uh, Elliot Smith always people are always like, "Oh, why did you? Uh, why do you record all the stuff on your albums or most of the stuff?" It's like, "Oh, I like playing bass. I never have time to, but like if I'm recording an album or writing a song, I'm forced to play bass, drums, and guitar and all this stuff. So it like forces him to practice these things, and I can only imagine that must be kind of what it's like. Is I can't imagine you have the time to practice all of those instruments. No, I'm. This is this is my my curse. I just like I, I get so distracted with things where I can't like really focus on getting good at any one thing. I just have to be mediocre at everything. It's like it's 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 uh, FOMO, right? Yeah. Fear of missing out. I need to play every instrument halfway decent. Yeah, <laughs> and so the whole thing with that is it works out well recording wise because like if you layer like you know 30 tracks that are not you know technically versed you know like not nothing like super technical but like 30 good tracks on top of each other it sounds like you know a really cohesive thing but when you're playing a show like live by yourself you know and you just have an acoustic guitar it's like oh fuck what do i do now yeah you, you you've been like hiding behind this whole like, huge thing and i definitely i used to feel that and then I finally got a band to play with me and that that's the greatest feeling is when you have, you know, great musicians with you. Yeah. It's, it's definitely tricky. Um, cause I've been doing a lot of the solo acoustic thing. Uh, I toured a lot of that just solo last year and, uh, reworking a lot of these, you know, full instrumental songs to, to just like one dude with a, an acoustic guitar. Um, you know, I, I, I'd rather I'd rather just be like a a different version, you know. Mm-hmm. And the way the way that I compose songs is like I kind of think of everything like simultaneously. It's not like oh let's write this part and then write the next part. So it's like I have like and I like a little bit of an idea for each thing going at once. So I can kind of like get like a like an overall like vision of like a song in one version, and then I can see how it might translate to another version and that kind of thing. And um, so yeah, I mean like a lot of the songs that, that Holophonics play live, like have changed since, since we recorded them since like I recorded most of the parts and then the guys learned it and you know, we, we made it better. They added their own things to it and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm really, I'm really stoked to like get this new original album out there. Cause it's definitely the most collaborative, I think of, uh, of our, oeuvre in terms of songwriting um like i'm still like the songwriter but like getting everyone else to contribute more parts is is i think really going to help us out yeah that's always an interesting like argument like people will you know talk to me because i sing in the band and like people always assume that the singer like they're the one who wrote the song it's not always that case but like it's always interesting it's like okay so who writes the band or who writes the music is it you or the band it's like you know it's all of us it's really hard to get through to people like yeah i come with like you know bare bones of a song and they're like songs i wrote lyrically and stuff but it's like super hard to get through to people that you know oh it's it's a collaborative effort it doesn't matter that i'm the quote-unquote lead man but yeah yeah um 
I mean, I still I still demo things out, um, and uh, a lot of what we're doing for this new batch of songs, um, like I still like record a full demo, mm-hmm. um, and then I send that to the guys with sheet music and stuff. I'm like, all right, like here's the song, and then like let's because we also never used to rehearse songs before recording, like. And that and on st- purpose or just kind of happened that way. It's just kind of the way the schedule has always been because we record so much. It's like there's not time to like get in like months of rehearsal sense. before recording. So like, especially this these cover songs. Like we just did this '80s album. It was literally you know arranged, produced, recorded, and everything in four weeks. So I just like did all the like the bass tracks and stuff and uh, printed out sheet music gave them to the guys like here coming like this is the exact part that we all need to play like i was just like get it done like super quick like there was isn't really time we haven't rehearsed any of the uh 80s covers like live like as a full band (laughs) it's it's just been like one person at a time in the studio that must be like stressful because you're recording the whole thing so like recording your own band i don't know if that's super stressful or super just relaxing because it's like okay well i know that we have time and we have the resources yeah i mean we've worked out a pretty good rhythm with it where like we we all know like how it works like you know this is this is the 15th total album i think that we've done like um under the holophonics umbrella discography so like we all kind of get the the process now and it, it goes really quickly it goes really smoothly um. Yeah, but I, I, it also it does take a lot of time, and I currently am not doing anything else with my life, so it's just literally every day recording for hours and hours. <laughs> and that honestly sounds great. I can see how that sounds stressful, but man, there are days when I just go into the studio and it's like I'm only there for the weekend for like three days, and it's just like fuck, why can't I do this every day? Or going on tour, even when it's stressful, like, why can't I do this all the time? Yeah, well, that, I mean, that was, like, that was probably, like, the craziest decision I made where it's, like, all right, like, it's it's now or never, like, just jump into this full time. And uh, it was a little over a year ago, I guess, a year, year and a half ago or so, um, I had a part-time day job, and I just, I just quit it to go on tour, and, you know... I came back from tour. I'm just recording and recording and recording. And it's like, it's, it's a constant daily, like stress factor to like worry about money and that kind of thing. And, but it's, it's, it, I'm, I've gotten this far, you know, it's like you reach a certain point where it's like, like you have to like do, uh, figure out like how your time is valued in terms of if you're, if you're doing a day job to pay the bills, but eventually you want your music to pay the bills. Like, where do you, where do you find the balance? And like, you need to put time into your music to like, get it to a point where it can pay the bills. Um, but if you're spending all your time at your day job is like, it's a catch 22. So I I was just like, all right, well, I don't think I'm ready, but if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? Yeah, it it definitely (laughs) is. Like at some point, like you or someone else has to kind of just push you off the edge and like, just, you got to go do it. And it's just like worst case scenario you fail but you knew you tried and it's just like yeah i definitely i understand that i'm i'm on the verge of like whenever i'm done with like school for good like i think i'm gonna you know take a year or two to kind of you know do what you're talking about and that shit 
it, it's a super hard thing to do it, w- not even just in music like anything whether or not you know your dream job is like you know something that can pay the bills or not it's yeah it's definitely a noble thing and hard to do yeah i mean i find myself doing all sorts of weird silly jobs and stuff now and um i mean i, I record other bands too like like i have like a little like diy home studio and i bring in other bands and i I work with uh, mostly ska and punk bands around DFW. Recorded a bunch of albums for for other groups for the last couple of years, and uh, that that helps out a lot. Um, but I just recently started doing like jingles and theme songs and stuff, and it's so funny, man. Like I just did a, a theme song for a like a princess themed indoor <laughs> playground <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's not like a whole lot of extra work because I'm in the studio recording every day anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like, hey, you, like, can you write thirty seconds based on like Princess Madeline and Prince Antonio? Like, okay, like, <laughs> <laughs> like just pull some lyrics out, like throw uh throw some like medieval like trumpet fanfares exactly. in there. Like, all right. <laughs> I had uh, I used to work at a recording studio and. Um, one of the, like the main engineer, like I was talking to him like, Oh, so like who are your best clients? You know, thinking like, Oh, maybe, you know, cause there was a huge rap community in the area that we were uh, recording and super easy to record rappers. Cause they sure. would always come in with a track. I used to do that a lot. Yeah. But his biggest, um, his biggest clients were stuff like what you're talking about jingles and stuff. Like he did a Cavalier, uh, the like apparel store or whatever it's boots maybe. But uh, his biggest client was, like, local high schools and doing, like, drill team remixes. So they'd, like, Uh give him, like, oh, well, we want this song to segue into this pop song and this one. He's, like, it was super easy because all he had to do was just kind of match them and then just throw some... (laughs) Just, like, stuff like, hey, clap, clap your hands. Just DJ shit. Yeah. Yeah, but the, he the said high it was schools. super hard to like count because dancers count differently. Oh, they do, yeah. So he had to like make the songs, you know, tailored to that whole thing. So it's just interesting hearing that, you know, he's yeah. not the only one. Yeah, high schools are a good market for sure. I did the um I arranged the uh the Crumb High School marching band show uh in uh what was it? I guess the twenty fifteen, fall twenty fifteen show. Um, and I just, I did it, uh, some, some music for uh, high school in San Diego. Um, yeah. High school gigs are sweet. Uh, but yeah, like, <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, that part sounds kind of fun for you doing all the horns on holophonics and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, like my, my degree, uh, from college was in composition. So like, I have like the training to like do classical, you know, classical with air quotes music and, and that kind of stuff. And, um, even though like my primary existence is in the commercial music world now, you know, uh, commercial music with air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I'd, I'd rather do anything related to music than work in a, a warehouse part time, yeah. you know, like, so yeah, I'm all over the place, but, and it's definitely stressful, but you know, it's fun too. I get you to play shows all the time. just alienated all of our warehouse listeners. They, they probably <laughs> had like a boom box listening to this yeah, and everybody immediately shut it off at work <laughs> like what the fuck jimmy <laughs> yeah man you I just mean, alienated that, all of them <laughs> that's what i did for a long time um when i was done with grad school at unt uh trying to get the holophonics off the ground i was working in the back room of uh of target uh oh you know that yeah <laughs> yeah the, the I do tar- know that. 
Did you just run into each other there? No, or? my mom works there. Oh, shit. <laughs> she knew Eric. Hell yeah. Friend of the podcast. She doesn't listen to the show. Friend of the show. She doesn't? No. My mom doesn't either. I don't think she knows what a podcast is. I That's probably know. the only barrier keeping my mom from listening to this. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. You just have to say so it's easy. radio on the internet. Yeah. It, it's like <laughs> one of the only uh, forms of media out there that like you can't skip ads. I guess you can technically skip the ads, but I never do. No, but, you totally can. It's yeah, you can. Oh, the oh, easiest well. one for that. I, I've been Good ousted we as sponsors. an idiot right here. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe one day we'll have ads. <laughs> and then you can skip them. So, uh, we've talked about the holophonics and, you know, the original music and that. But you also mentioned, you know, you have a solo effort and it's just, you know, under your namesake. And um, you talked about when you you played shows and it was just you and an acoustic guitar. But the album is a full, it, it's a full band sound and I assume that's all you. Yeah, uh, so that solo album I put out uh, a little over a year ago, and uh, it was it was definitely like a kind of a personal challenge to like play all the instruments, uh, you know, do all the songwriting and recording and everything, and um, it was like my first time playing uh, saxophone in a really long time. I you know I took like saxophone like methods class when I was in college. That was like oh my god, that was like nine ten years ago. And uh, so, like, I was like, I think I could probably pick this up again. Like, if I if I got a saxophone, got some elementary methods books and stuff. So, yeah. so I spent like a couple months like practicing tenor sax, and uh, and I record. I learned it, relearned it well enough to do all the parts on that album. And I've been playing it since. And uh, I'm still not a good saxophone player, but I'm you know I can get through recording the parts for the holophonics albums now because we don't have a full-time sax player anymore we did for a little while we actually had the guy he was playing barry in the one o'clock um and he was our tenor player and he was in our group for i guess maybe a year and a half two years and he did a big tour with us but then he uh he's like touring the country doing like musical stuff now um but yeah so so i've been playing sax uh for a while i did a little bit of trumpet too um, definitely not a good trumpet player. I don't have any chops for it, but like, I know the theory behind playing because I I do play trombone. Um, so yeah, doing that album was like a really fun little project for me to like try and do everything myself. Um, you know, when I play it live, I either do it solo acoustic or I do have a backing band. Mm-hmm. Um, and those guys in the band, they're all most of them are just the holophonics guys. There you go. Um, I, <laughs> I I call them the DTX stomp machine for those shows and. Uh, we're doing, we're doing a show, uh, coming up. It's Friday, July 7th. Sweet. Uh, that, that falls after we, the that's podcast. Yeah. After the show is out in the Hell future. Hell yeah. Yeah. So Eric and the DTX stunt machine, we're playing at three links in deep LM. Oh shit. Um, we're opening for, uh, the steady 45s from LA. They're a really, really awesome band. Um, they play like early, uh, style sky, like traditional sky and rock steady, and that's kind of more the uh, the genre that my solo project focuses on. It's mm-hmm. less less of the punk with horns kind of thing, and you know more of the traditional ska genre. Um, well, and then when you go on tour, you play just by yourself, right? Usually. Uh, well, last year, so last year I toured a lot. I toured with the Holophonics. I toured solo acoustic. I toured uh, my solo project with a backing band. And when I when I toured with the band, it was. Uh, it was a couple different runs, and what I wound up doing was, I um, 
I did, I did like a two and a half week run with one set of guys and another two and a half, half week run with another set of guys. And those guys came from pretty much all over the country. Um, like I flew in a drummer and a bassist from New York and a keyboard player from South Carolina. And then uh, for another run, I did have Will from the Holophonics play drums with me and a bassist from Iowa. Um, so like that music is... You know, I do have everything written out and it's kind of like, all right, like I can just send this to you guys. And if you learn it and show up, like we can do shows. And the idea is like as that project keeps going and progresses a little bit more, like I can kind of do that all over the country. Um, like there's guys in New York that know my songs now. And uh, you're just, from New York, right? I'm from New York. Yeah, I grew Originally. up there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the guys that that wind up coming with me on that tour, um, they are people that I knew from high school, uh, the drummer. I uh, cool. was in my, my metal band when I was in high school. Like, I've been playing music with him since, you know, since I was like 13 or what something. What was the name of that metal band? Was it something really cheeky and embarrassing? Uh, <laughs> so we called ourselves Day Tripper. Uh, cause That's not I, too bad. I guess because we liked the Beatles, and I guess we were like, oh, yeah, like, tripping is funny because we play, <laughs> like, progressive metal stuff. And like, ah, but we were, we were like 13 when we thought of, thought of that. So I don't know. We did play some pretty weird stuff, like... I, I would describe that band as like high school kids playing like, and that's an, an important prefix high school kids playing yeah. a mix of early Metallica and dream theater. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask like, cause man, Texas, I don't know if you ever heard any of this, but man, the Texas hardcore scene, the Texas metal scene, it's way different from any other, like it's really kind of the South. It's not necessarily just Texas, but Texas is huge. So the the whole hardcore and metal scene around here is it's way different from like other metal bands like there's no memphis mayfire up in new york i assume uh what is the metal scene like up there i don't know i don't honestly like is I don't, there even one <laughs> i'm not into the metal scene at all anymore um and even when I was in that band in high school, like I loved ska music, but I was the only one. I was like, I was the the ska kid who hung out with all the metalheads. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the cool thing about um, when I was in high school, like even though I couldn't be in a ska band myself because I couldn't find other guys that wanted to do it, like all the shows that my metal band played were with ska bands. Like in early two thousands, like ska was really uh, doing pretty well in New York, uh, especially on Long Island. Um, and we would play all these mixed genre shows like in church basements and stuff. And there would be pop punk bands, ska bands. And this was like right as emo was like starting to to take hold. And like that, you know, yeah. I blame that shit on uh, <laughs> like Glassjaw. Yeah. Like uh, they opened up for Coheed uh, <laughs> like two years ago. Oh, yeah. They're a little bit different than they used to be. They kicked out one of the guitar players, but yeah, yeah Glassjaw, like, they were the band that opened the floodgates and it was like, Long Island has a music scene. It's called Screamo. <laughs> and, like, everyone was, like, freaking out. I was like, remember Seattle in the early 90s? This is going to be Long Island in the early 2000s. And, Holy like, br- Brand New and Taking Back Sunday, uh, Straight Light Run. Some oh, fuck, of those, I um, forgot Taking Back Sunday yeah, was from... Yeah, Bayside, uh, Envy on the Coast. Man, these are the bands that killed Long Island ska. Hell yeah. <laughs> I was so Bastards. upset about it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't lived in, in New York end, since... everyone's wearing Vans. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like <laughs> they, were, they were super fun shows for a high school kid. Like, there was a vibrant music scene, for sure, when I was coming up. And, uh, I mean, I haven't been there since 2006. 
but uh, I think that the music scene is has dropped off a little bit in terms of like that screamo boom that was like kind of sustaining things and oh yeah it's dead yeah um there's <laughs> there's a dead. there's there's a few ska bands up uh on long island but not as much as there used to be 10 or 15 years ago um i do go up there for shows a few times a year and uh there's a good scene some some good guys with some really awesome bands um putting out some really good music and doing really great shows uh so it is cool going up there but it's just it's a different scene for sure. I mean, you know, ska is like that everywhere. But yeah. but I, I, it was cool, like, kind of growing up in an epicenter for, like, a certain kind of version of ska in early 2000s. Like, it was very, like, screamo, indie rock-infused kind of ska punk. Um, I don't know. You know uh, Jeff Rosenstock? Mm-hmm. Um, he was in uh, that band Bond the Music Industry. And before that, Arrogant Sons of Bitches. Like, they were, like, the big local ska band when I was in high school. And now this guy is freaking like super famous. He's like the yeah. sweetheart of the indie punk world. <laughs> um, and like I've been following this guy for <clears throat> for like eleven years now. And like I'm so happy that like everyone else is like stoked on Jeff Rosenstock finally. <laughs> I, I want some. Yeah. So you know those people you play with in New York from high school. You said right? Yeah. But what about everybody else? Did you meet them online or just? Um, from from touring so uh this really awesome dude uh from south carolina uh my friend david he um he plays uh organ like sky reggae organ not just like keyboards like he's a really good organ player and it's like a specific thing it's different and a lot of like keyboard players a lot of piano players don't really get the differences between uh especially in the genre of sky reggae the differences between piano and organ and this guy nails it and uh he played in a band called sex wax uh out in charleston and now he's got a new band called well charge and they play like early ska rock steady stuff um and i just met him on tour like holophonics have gone out to charleston we've had some really great shows in charleston um and i was uh going out on my solo thing i was like hey i need a keyboard player you're the best guy i've met you want to do this with me? He's like, yeah, sure. I got nothing else going on. <laughs> That's nice. Um, yeah, my buddy Nathan uh, from Iowa, he uh, he played bass with us. Um, he's in a band called Fairhaven, and uh, they're they're all actually like pretty young. Like their drummer just graduated high school last year, and they're all like super good. I mean, they're playing like you know '90s style ska punk, and uh, the first time the holophonics did a full national tour like we just got like a facebook message from this guy nathan he's like hey i like you guys i saw your covers on youtube or whatever like i'll book you in uh the quad cities like which is right on the border of iowa and illinois and i was like yeah sure we're playing chicago and then we're going to des moines or wherever like yeah that's like perfectly in between like we'd love to play and i think we played like a monday night that first time we were there and the show went off it was crazy man like all ages venue like these kids showed up and they were all about ska punk music and this local band fairhaven uh they have really come into their own over the last few years and they're they're on a, uh, a tour right now they're touring with another band we're friends with from dc called kill lincoln um it's just like this is what's so awesome about the ska scene is that it's it's a pretty big scene like it reaches all corners of of the of the continent but it's still finite enough where you can actually know everyone and it's not a stretch to like be friends with people in all these different states especially if you're you know touring uh, as frequently as we did um so it's like we've got this really awesome network of not just like musicians that we play shows with but like awesome friends that are like friends with us because 
they understand exactly what we're doing because they've done it too and they're just like in different cities like so yeah i mean like we know great ska musicians and we're friends with great ska musicians all over the country so when we go on tour they help us out i can get them to come in and, and play my music wherever we are uh it's like i don't know like the best example of diy networking is like the american ska scene right now (laughs) (laughs) that definitely that sounds like kind of what i assumed it was anyway just from seeing stuff around here it seems like a lot of it's very diy yeah and and the the funny thing about kind of close-knit thing yeah yeah definitely community and and all these bands are are actually like pretty different because ska is a is for as niche a genre as it is it's still a huge umbrella like it it encompasses like like really like hard punk you know bands like that do like ska core or, or crack rock steady and then like you know like traditional ska rock steady bands um and you know lots of third wave and two-tone that kind of stuff like there's a huge musical difference between like all these bands in the national ska scene but like for some reason everyone like is buddies with each other as if like they play the exact same kind of music and uh, I don't know. There's like a really like great like shared experience to draw from. Um, I was just at a festival uh, last month in Virginia. Um, this was like I'm pretty sure the biggest ska festival that's happened in the last like I don't know decade maybe. Like I I, I can't say for sure, but um, I I play uh, with Rude King from Dallas every now and then. Um, I'm always like I'm always like filling in. Uh, for someone who like who can't do it, and there's like nine guys in that band, so there's always like someone who can't do it. Um, <clears throat> but Rude King was going out to this festival in Virginia, uh, the Supernova International Ska Festival, and it was just like a big ska family reunion. Like all these guys from from bands all over the country that were there, hanging out with, like, oh, good to see you again. Like, like you couldn't you couldn't take like I don't know, ten steps in any direction without seeing a guy like from some random place in the country. Yeah, that that's you were crazy. That yeah. must be like fucking a weird feeling to have so many friends that are like so you know sprawling and shit all yeah. in one place yeah it's crazy because like i haven't been on tour in six and a half months now like i've been in dfw like we did that little weekend trip out to virginia for that for that festival but i've been basically not touring for six and a half months which seems like so long like this some of these guys some of my best friends i haven't seen in like seven or eight months and it's like killing me <laughs> Damn. Well, I, I think now's as good as time as ever to bring up tour stories. We have a little segment where we just ask tour stories, and you, I think, are probably the most well-toured of all of our guests. It highs, so. yeah, highs and lows, anything you'd like to talk about tour, whether, you know, it's holophonics tour, solo tour, whatever you got, just tell us about your tour. <sighs> tour, man. So, you know, I... I, I I thought about this recently. I was like, oh, I'm doing that podcast thing. Like, they're probably going to ask about, like, tour stories. Like, That's what? our thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we get the best parts. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what, you know, what? what's a good tour story? I'll, th- I'll, I'll, I'll try and think of something. I, I totally forgot about it. And I don't know, man. Like, I think, I think I've toured a little bit differently than maybe most people that tour. Um, and... I don't know. We've got like plenty of stories and there's definitely like really good shows and like really good hangs we've had and really terrible shitty times like where it just like seems like everything's going to fucking fall apart. Um, but it's, I don't know. Like I'm definitely not jaded about it, but it's hard for like 
individual events like stand out yeah. because like everything is so new every single day. It's like you are constantly finding yourself in like strange and interesting experiences. And it's so scary sometimes. Um, and it just, I don't know, like we've had, like we've broken down, our van is broken down like in the Holland tunnel in New York city, which is like wow. extremely nerve wracking. Um, but way better than breaking down in like the middle of the desert. Yeah. Uh, which has almost happened. Thankfully, you know, we've made it through, but like we've, I mean, we've played shows all over the place and we've showed up to, to, to places where it's like the show's canceled. And then we showed up to places where like the show's canceled because the venue is like just suddenly got shut down that day. And like, and our place that crashed like bailed and like, we're what the fuck are we going to do now? And Lafayette, Louisiana with no place to go. Like, I don't know. Every day is like so weird. Um, in like great and terrible ways. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's strange because like we also don't tour uh for like for like a vacation you know like I, I there's there's a lot of bands now that just like they kind of resign themselves to the fact like oh we're gonna lose like two grand on this tour and like that's okay because we've been saving up and working our shitty day jobs for you know the last like six months and like we can we can lose some money and it's like well we don't really have that option like because like we're just constantly touring so it's like we don't really ever just like stop caring about shit. You know, it's like you have to like keep being responsible, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I, I definitely, I get that mentality. I'm on both sides where it's like, okay, I would like to turn a profit here or in the very least, you know, make sure that, you know, this is worth my while and I'm not wasting my time and just losing a shit ton of money just to be super exhausted and stressed out. But also, I I see the joy and, you know, kind of like, okay, if we go and we have an amazing time, but maybe we don't get paid very well or that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's I all would, trade-offs. I They're, would always take a better crowd over better pay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've, uh, we've definitely gotten to some pretty tough spots financially, and, like, we've always figured our, our way out of them. Um, like, uh... We were we were doing okay last summer and we just like hit this this like really shitty week um where like we just kept getting like parking tickets. <laughs> like we uh we lost like a couple hundred bucks on like on just like parking tickets um, cuz like we would load in to a venue and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, you can park right there." And then we'd come out after the show and there'd be like a ticket on it like, "Oh, Fuck, like what are we gonna do? Like, we don't have like sixty bucks right now because we didn't get paid at the show. Like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And then like uh so that happened to us in, in DC and then we uh it, it just so happened that um our trumpet player Harold, his cousin lives in DC and her her house is like a couple blocks away from the venue we played last time. So uh we we're like, Oh fuck, we just got this parking ticket, like let's just go back to your cousin's place and get wasted. So we did that and of course like we have the parking pass to park in front of her house, but we forgot to put it out because we were wasted and we got we woke up and we had another <laughs> parking ticket. Man, that night I got so drunk I I thought like my glasses prescription had changed. Like <laughs> I got so drunk I gave myself a parking ticket. I uh yeah. <laughs> we lost a bunch of money. I couldn't find my glasses, and I thought I f- I found some glasses that looked similar to mine, but they weren't mine because when I tried them on, they didn't they were totally wrong. I didn't realize that I was trying them on with my contacts already in. So, 
it it is always nice like every once in a while where you don't have like a killer drive to get to the next place like the east coast is nice because drives are shorter but usually pay is worse on the east coast um but uh you know where you know you have a good place to stay and you can just like get trashed and like just let it all loosen yeah it must be super nice knowing people like uh on the east coast i as I, I assume you do because that whole new england area is pretty you know small in the sense that you could you know get to places yeah. where you know people and crash there yeah especially like i mean or even have a built-in crowd in the sense that like oh i'm going back to new york maybe these people still live there that kind of yeah shit. that is always nice i mean we've also toured so much now that like it's it's not as common where we play a city that we haven't played before that's awesome. Um, I mean, it's it, it usually happens maybe, like, a few times every tour now, but, like, most of these tour stops are, like, like you know, repeat places. Um, so we've we've got friends everywhere. So we, like, we, you know, we know where we're staying that night. We don't have to – I mean, there's definitely shows where it's like, hey, like, so we got a couple songs left and we don't have anywhere to stay tonight. Like, who wants a free T-shirt? That <laughs> <laughs> That'll definitely do it. People will – I'll do shit. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, I'll give you a free CD if you let me – crash at your place i'm like fuck yeah let's like, do it yeah you let we, bands stay for free yeah it's I'll, like we i can, just want to hang out with people yeah, and talk we, about music yeah. we can we can sleep in the van like we just need like i mean floor space for maybe like three of the guys while the other three sleep in the van and maybe and somewhere to park uh, yeah somewhere to park and a <laughs> toilet to take a shit in like really exactly <laughs> we had a band play here once at uh our esteemed house venue the Jago House. Um, <laughs> uh, we had a band play here all the way from uh, Kansas City. And um, I just like kind of walked through the backyard and just saw this giant like RV. And I was just like, is that a fucking touring band? And this was like hours before the show was supposed to start. So like, yeah, they showed up early afternoon. Yeah. So like you can comfortably walk through the backyard and know like, Oh, no one's going to be back here or no one's going to be back here that I don't know. And I just see like, you know, eight people just kind of sitting there. I was like, and I pointed out, I was like, is that a fucking touring van? And they go, no man, it's just an RV. And I'm like, that's a fucking touring van. <laughs> and they just, you know, wasn't that, that there were two bands in there. Right? Yeah. It was uh, uh Riala and Via Luna. Luna. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, our, our landlord was like, did you guys buy an RV? <laughs> I've debated on that shit just because you can get that stuff cheap over at uh, UNT Surplus. RVs? Not RVs. Not RVs, but like, but like vans. vans. Oh, yeah. They're used and, you know, have a ton of miles on them, but cheap. Like, yeah, well, cheap. that's that's another thing that we've done a little bit differently than some other bands. Like, I did not shop in the bargain bin for a touring vehicle. Like, I'm, I'm still paying for our van. Um, it's like, it's my only vehicle. Um, so I've got another like year and a half left on the, uh, on the payments, but it's a decent, it's a decent van. It's a 2007 4350. Uh, I got it with, um, like 46,000 miles on it and I'm at almost 150,000. So I've done a hundred thousand miles on that van in three years. Um, and it's, uh, you know, when it broke down in, in the Holland tunnel, it was just an alternator and it was time to replace it anyway. Like, okay. Like it wasn't a huge, huge deal. Um, but man, like I hear so many stories about these bands going out in like cheap ass vans and, and like they break down. I was like, well, of course. Man. Yeah. Like if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. That shouldn't be shocking to anybody, but 
I think kind of the way to go is like even like so say if you have just like a car that can't necessarily fit all your shit, do something like a a, a trailer that yeah. can almost be more worth your while. I I'm trying to avoid a trailer as long as it's feasible, because um, like those things like they will definitely. <laughs> For uh, context, I tried to keep my cat from touching the computer that's recording, and she, she has fell. not great eyes, and she definitely fell. So if you heard that crash, please oh. avoid me, PETA. Poor girl. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's not coming out. <laughs> I'm sorry, so why are you avoiding a trailer? Oh, I mean, they're rough on the vehicle. I've driven with trailers before, and it's like, it makes parking... A nightmare, especially in cities, and like yeah, especially, I've got, I bet the East Coast. Would East be Coast, impossible. oh my god, I, man! Like, so we toured with um, one of the bands we're really good friends with is Be Like Max from Las Vegas, and they do very similar music to us, and they're all like super nice guys, sweethearts, and they're like our best friends, and uh, we did a, a full like national tour in like six weeks with them, and they wanted to take a trailer, um. So we wound up sharing a lot of gear and uh, putting it all in their trailer. So, like, we were pretty roomy in our van. Um, but, like, getting places for them to park for all these shows was, like, such a nightmare. And then, like, once you're, uh, like, in New York and stuff, like, you can't take a trailer through, like, certain tunnels and over bridges and certain highways and stuff. And, like, they totally did not do it right. And, like, I'm from New York, so, like, I know which roads, like, they were supposed to take. So, like... You can't look on Google Maps and be like, hey, I'm in a van, like, pulling a trailer. Like, what's the way for me to go? Like, I, there must be, like, some trucker app or something that tells you, right? I don't know. Yeah. We, we didn't have it. So, so like, I would, like, write out directions. Like, this is, like, the highway you have to take. And, like, nobody writes out fucking directions anymore. Yeah. So, like, of course they got on all the wrong highways. And, like, they... timey <laughs> map quest over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they, uh, I don't know. They managed to, to avoid getting any tickets and that kind of thing. But, you know, a trailer is definitely rough on your vehicle. Uh, and I were able to fit six guys and all of our gear in our 15 passenger van pretty comfortably. Um, so that's working for us. I mean, it would be nice, like eventually to like maybe take a seventh guy to be like merch and like, uh, like video and, and photography, that kind of yeah. thing. Just like, like an extra utility guy who's not performing just to like help out. But one extra guy would probably put us over the edge like yeah um i played with a band from uh florida and they're called uh deaf poets and it it was just a two uh person band and they had two guys who were on tour with them and they would both like one of them would run merch and kind of you know do payout and that kind of stuff and then like one of them was like kind of following them around all night and they were doing like little like tour updates and like i was like man that shit's so cool and like i i got the sense i and i may be just you know reading into the situation but i really got the sense that like these were kind of like two really good friends who were just like yeah i'll go on tour with you just you know make sure i have a place to sleep and if you can get me food great yeah that kind of stuff just seems super cool and like it makes things so much more relaxing because you've already booked the tour you've prepared for it you're having to play that night then you have to go sit by the merch table. You can't relax and, you know, 
most of the time you can't and then you know you gotta deal with payout then you gotta drive somewhere it's like you have to do almost everything so just even having that one person makes everything so much easier yeah i, I don't know if you've seen i that. imagine there's there's that hard times article uh <laughs> merch guy puts life on hold to pursue dream of tagging along <laughs> dude that'd be me like any like moment somebody was like hey i'm going on tour for six months what are you doing i was like fuck let's do it that sounds great i'd love to travel yeah i i do know some some guys that actually like tour manage like like mm-hmm. like you know these are with some some bigger bands and stuff where they are actually like the dude who's doing most of the driving and like doing all the logistical stuff and basically being like hey all you shitheads like getting drunk in the back seat like you gotta be here at 8 p.m like you know have your instruments at like like just the guy who's like you know keeping things in order um and i thought about doing that because that's that's basically what i do with the holophonics mm-hmm. um but uh man like being on the road for as long as i was and then to like the like the idea of like being on the road and like not doing my music like uh like it's like i don't have like the time like n- like i'm not on tour right now i'm using all that time to record yeah. uh so like i think tour managing like would be a pretty cool thing like once i'm maybe in a little bit more comfortable financial spot yeah that would be definitely cool so uh, the Holophonics has a song called Frack Off, and I can explain it, but I think it would be better from your own mouth, Eric. Just sure. explain the situation behind the song and just, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, fracking is like a real hot-button issue here in, in Denton because uh, we were we were the first city in the country to, to ban fracking, you know, uh, within city limits. And... Um, this was two and a half, maybe three years ago, almost. Uh, that 2014 or something. Yeah, 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 around there. <clears throat> yeah, it was almost three years ago where we we had that citywide vote, um, and it it passed overwhelmingly. Like, it was, fuck this, we don't want this. Like, Denton does not want fracking, mm-hmm. and uh, it was pretty shitty because the state government in Austin was like, oh yeah, by the way, like your ban is isn't you can't do that like we're saying that like a a city can't decide to ban uh you know a fossil fuel industry just like that because you know you don't really know what you're talking about you're just you're just like regular ass citizens yeah (laughs) and like go ahead that same um that same month i think that the our ban was struck down like in my district like not too far away there was like a gas well explosion and it like yeah that was like a few weeks after yeah yeah yeah. and it and it like it went on for i forget how like eight or nine hours or something like that just spewing flames toxic gas into the atmosphere and the thing is is like like the fire department they couldn't shut it down they couldn't do anything because yeah they're not equipped to yeah, handle that. the only people that can take care of that situation are the like the actual company that owns the gas well. And big surprise, that company doesn't give a shit about Denton because they're based in Houston. So it took like hours for them to get technicians from Houston out to shut down this poison gas well explosion in in my fucking neighborhood. Yeah, and, like you know, it's it's well, re- and- it's really depressing. Like the like the the paper thin veil of of you know how lobbyists actually control yeah i mean our policies that whole that whole situation was crazy because um i remember you know you have those targeted ads on like you know any web browser and you know 
I was getting shit on YouTube tell, trying from, it was obviously from these big oil companies, you yeah, know, they telling, spent a shit ton of money. Yeah. In and here's the thing for anyone, you know, you can look at like, you know, the Flint, Michigan things and like that, that's such a, a massive issue, but there's a lot of, and I'm sure this is happening in multiple places around the country where it's not as large as that. So it's not really getting coverage because fuck Flint's not even getting the right coverage. It should, but the whole thing about this one was that, you know, there was this kind of, like, there was so much going against uh, this fracking ban that when it passed, it was just kind of like this, oh, fuck, we put millions of dollars, or the big oil did, put so much money, and then it was one of these things where they just got this loophole, and no matter how you feel about fracking or the whole situation, I think it's definitely, it's an interesting thing to point out that like this is like the democratic system just didn't work it was really fucked up how everyone who was against it we went out and voted and we said no we don't want this our voice was heard and since the outcome didn't fit the financial gain it was just completely shut down well and on top of that the city can't fight it against the state because it's too expensive for a town like denton to be able to pay all the legal fees to be able to do that yeah, the whole situation was fucked. I was just really angry, and so I wrote a song. <laughs> I mean, like lots of people did, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, the Holophons were never, like, a political band. Um, and, you know, that wasn't by design. It just wound up being, like, a lot of songs that we wrote were silly and, like, you know, jokes about ska and being in a ska band. But this was, like, a very visceral moment in our local scene. It was like, well, this is what I'm going to write a song about. And, you know, I don't think we alienated any like super conservative, like corporate lobbyists that were listening to our music. Like if they were, fuck them. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, but you know, we played it, we played that song locally. It went over really well. Like people are fucking angry about that shit. They were in, in 2015 when that song was released. Um, and the interesting thing was we took that song on tour and we played it all over the country. And, you know, we, uh, like we told the story of like what was going on in Denton and you know, a lot of cities like didn't really know what was going on. They weren't like familiar with fracking. So like on stage we would, you know, get our little soapbox, you know, take a minute before we play the song and explain what was going on and like say like, Hey, this is shitty. Like, you know, like you shouldn't let this happen in your town if this you know ever becomes an issue. And, uh, you know, like at that point it's like, well, what can I do? Like, I feel so helpless. Like, and try and spread this message, I guess. Like, and you know, we would go to places like, like Pennsylvania, where fracking is a huge issue. Also, like, there's a huge, uh, like, shale gas plate in in Pennsylvania, and fracking has been like a really big issue there, and like polluted water and all sorts of shit. Um, one time we played. This was this was before we wrote um, Frack Off, but one time we played a show in Frackville, Pennsylvania. Like, there's there's <laughs> there's a, a like a small town. Uh, called Frackville, Pennsylvania. It's just like, I don't know, people are just getting fucked over all over the place. And like, you know, where people actually did know about this issue before we, we got there and we played that song, it's like the response was overwhelming. It's like people are really getting behind that message. And like, I hope like, I hope like if if this reaches like a little bit more of a national stage, like this issue, like people can take some sort of action. Like, I don't know what I can do here in Denton. You know, it's like, it seems yeah, it's, like our situation's already happened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, 
we you did what you were supposed to right? do like and we then banned we were it. screwed over. Yeah, we already did it. <laughs> so I was just super fucking angry. Yeah. And you know, Holophonics aren't a political band, but that's our political song, I guess. Um, I mean, since then, I've written a lot of other political songs, but I've I put <laughs> I mean, it under a different and you're title. You're going to be opening up for Sis of a, of a Down soon. <laughs> Arguably, it's not really a political topic anyway. It's more of a health thing, being close to neighborhoods, especially. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I don't. I don't think there's much of a political slant to it. I think it just I mean, comes it, down to people always like. It doesn't matter how sound your thought like that is. That you know. Oh yeah. It's no, health. People, yeah. Doesn't matter how sound that is. They're going to say, well, it's politics, and it's, just like, it, it's really not. You, yeah, but I just be, rather. I, I wanted to bring that up before we wrap things up for the sake of, as you said, you know, if we have any listeners outside Denton, just to, you know, give give that a Google. Like, just look <laughs> that up. I'm sure there there's plenty on it. It, it. You can verify everything we've said, and it's just come to your own conclusions on it, but just you know yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a bigger issue because it's becoming one yeah as as as, you know the trump administration is is trying to bring back um, the american fossil fuel industry coal and fracking is a huge part of 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 this and it's it's bullshit like you know there's really there's really no excuse to be damaging communities in the way that it is and when, when there's so many renewable resources out there now yeah it, uh, just one last thing on top. I've been reading a book uh, the past week, uh, actually by Bill Nye, called uh, Unstoppable, and it's about this. It has a fracking thing, and it talks about all these clean energy and like kind of things to say when people come up to you with this kind of these ideas of like, oh, well, fracking is good or fracking is a hundred percent safe. It, you know, kind of that book, uh, Unstoppable by Bill Nye. It's really, you know. It really, I've always been on the same side where, you know, it's just like, okay, these things are bad. But honestly, if somebody comes up to me and starts talking to me and, you know, spewing off their side, I'm really bad at coming back. But, like, this is a, that that's a really good book that helps you, uh, you know, combat that kind of stuff. I'd say let's wrap this up with a, hey, listen. <laughs> this is the segment <laughs> where we... Um, talk about what we've been listening to or whatever you've been doing uh i'll start off i'm gonna be honest i i i'm always listening to music but nothing really new uh i'm not gonna mention the band that i'm always listening to uh yeah yeah how'd you know um this week i bought a ps4 uh and i've been listening to a um a uh, australian gaming podcast called filthy casuals and i've been just like honestly ps4 and listening to that in between you know my real life that's what i've been listening to adam have you been listening to anything yeah actually i've been keeping track since last time i was kind of did you take notes i did (laughs) um so i've been listening to banquet which was kind of a local super group from some of the guys in midlake and uh oh yeah franz ferdinand and some other groups um they put out an album in april uh that's i've just finally been listening to and it's pretty fun there's a lot of all of their influences really that are visible um and then a band called uh mfe or mfa I don't oh know. i love those guys i know yeah. the trombone player oh really yeah cool he, yeah, yeah so they're from new york he's awesome makes Dude, sense, that actually. trombone player is the guy that's on uh on the the track for um uptown funk mark ronson oh really yeah wow. he, won a, he won a granny he's that's like 26 or something his name great. is ray like super nice guy i played a Shit. gig with him in that's la cool. like years ago yeah 
<laughs> yeah, they th- so they had their last show last August, uh, which is what this album was. But it was uh, live at Bryant Park in New York. And I'm really bummed I never got to see them play, but the album is really good. So. Yeah, they're awesome. It's like Budos Band meets Snarky Puppy, in my opinion. Yeah, it's very, I don't know, lots of jazz in- influence, uh, Afrobeat and funk, and Snarky Puppy is a good comparison, actually. Yeah. yeah. Local champions. <laughs> well, I I mostly listen to ska music. I mean, big surprise. Uh, it just it's hard to listen to other things like when I'm like so like daily immersed into it. But uh, uh, I mean, I got a lot of friends in the ska scene that are like constantly putting out good music. So some buddies of mine uh, from New Orleans just put out a new album last week or two weeks ago. Uh, they're called Joystick, and uh, their new al- new album is called Sincerely. It's really good. It's good ska punk music. Good ska core. And uh, they come out to Dallas and play some shows a couple times a year. They were just here in April. Um, they played a big festival that we did uh, down in Deep Ellum. And they're going to come back in October, I think, is next time they'll be back here. Uh, but they're good guys. They're from New Orleans. Not too far away as far as uh, the national ska scene is, uh, is you know. And, um, yeah, so their new album is called Sincerely. It's pretty good. It's on Spotify and stuff. It's on Stomp Records, which is a pretty rad uh mostly ska label uh it's been around for a while um so those guys are cool check out joystick um where can we find you and the holophonics yeah you can find me and the holophonics and my other band the dump trumps um we're on itunes and spotify and facebook and bandcamp and all that stuff probably probably bandcamp is like the best place to find all the music um, not not all the recent Holophonics albums are up on Spotify yet, just because we yeah, haven't I received a complaint because <laughs> I mentioned somebody that we were having you on the night, and they wanted to ask why is it not on Spotify yet? Yeah, <laughs> we're we're yeah we haven't paid for all the the registration fees and stuff yet because yeah, there's just so many yeah we're backlogged. Uh, I it. told him it was on Bandcamp, so <laughs> yeah. Um, you have the show July seventh or July seventh at Three Links in Deep Ellum. And, uh, yeah, my solo band, the DTX Stomp Machine, we're playing uh, with the Full Stops. They're a reggae rock steady band from around here, and Boss Riot. They're another rock steady band from Dallas, and the Steady Forty Fives, rock steady from LA. Yeah, um, Adam, where where can they find us? People can find us at Don'tFeedTheArtist dot com or in their favorite podcast app. Be sure to share this episode with a friend. And uh, happy 4th of July. Should we explain what skanking is before we go, or should we just leave that for them to Google? Because I wonder what they're going to find when they Google skanking. Yeah, there's there's definitely a uh, pretty informative instructional video on YouTube for skanking. We should okay. link to that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to find <laughs> that. And if we don't find it, we're fucked. And it's on you. Just remember, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit.